This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm your host, Jennifer Jewell. Most people would agree that flowers and gardens speak to us. In a language beyond words, yes, but that they definitely speak to us. In cultures across time and space, this language has often been codified in more or less formal ways. Joining us today is Vanessa Diffenbaugh, mother, author of several books, including the acclaimed novel, The Language of Flowers. Vanessa's book ignited a renewed interest in a language of flowers codified by the Victorians, and she has used the story to passionately advocate for a language of greater awareness, inclusion, and compassion around the lives of children in the foster care system in our country. Vanessa will be the featured speaker at a fundraising lunch for the Jesus Center in Chico, California, in mid-May. After the break, we'll also be joined by Shelley Watson, Director of Services for the Jesus Center and founder of their vocational training program known as Bloomin' Hope. She read Vanessa's first novel and recognized both the inner language of the book's main character and the language of flowers bringing hope to her life. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you so much. In your book, The Language of Flowers, we have this beautiful character, Victoria, who is beautiful in a very um, complex and layered way, the way many young people are, um, but very specific to her life in foster care. And this, she has this great connection to um, the natural world around her, as she knows it, and to what she has learned about flowers and their meanings given to them by the Victorians, which she was taught by one of her early mentors. I would love to, to hear a little bit about the connection to nature and gardens in your early life. Sure. Well, I think you know that I was raised in Chico, and my mother and stepmother are both gardeners. And I think even more than that, I had a lot of friends that lived out in the orchards, and I spent a lot of my time in the summer riding bikes just straight out into the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I think that for me, it just made sense that I would have a character that was very connected to the earth because I had always felt that way myself. And you, in the book, um, there is a lot of really specific information about uh, specific flowers. And I, I read in an interview with you that you were in your mid-teens when you ran across uh, the book um, illustrated by Kate Greenaway, that version of The Language of Flowers, which is just a beautiful little book. And I have a copy. I love that book. Yeah. And it's funny, I read that and I have a copy of it in my bookshelf and oh, have great. shared it with my my girls as well. But what kind of research did you have to do? Because in reading the book, I it, it, it struck me that you had to do quite a bit to write about the horticultural aspects of this book. Quite a bit, and in different ways, I would say. So first of all, just starting with that book that you have, Kate Greenaway's version of The Language of Flowers, it's a beautiful book, and it has incredible illustrations. Um, the problem is it was written so long ago that many of the plants go by different common names. So as you know, I'm sure as a gardener, uh, names of flowers change both over time and by location. So the first thing I had to do when I was really trying to um, organize the flowers that I'd found, I had probably a dozen Language of Flowers books from various times and places. 
And I just made a giant spreadsheet with every flower I could find and every definition. But part of that was figuring out what flower they were talking about. So there would be flowers like mouse-eared chickweed that don't exist anymore but actually do exist. And I'd have to figure out what the common name was, how it had changed over time, and then compare the definition that that one book would have to the other dozen books I was working with. So it was a significant investment of time um, and really research and history. In the book, Victoria spends a lot of time cultivating plants almost as she is sort of germinating in the dark and coming into bloom herself. And um, she makes a lot of arrangements, and she arranges flowers so that they have this complex message going out to either a client or to the person she's offering the flowers to. And it occurred to me after reading about maybe the sixth or seventh arrangement and your then description of the arrangement, that maybe you practiced these. And I'm thinking specifically <laughs> of one um, that had spider mums and periwinkle mm-hmm. wrapped around it. And um, the, the periwinkle wraps around these white spider mums. And you describe it as being like uh, fireworks. And I thought, she must have practiced that arrangement. And I'm wondering if you did. Yeah. No, I I absolutely did not. And I have a funny story about that. I was on live television in Italy, and they had me in a flower shop making one of my arrangements. And halfway through, I realized I had absolutely no idea how to arrange flowers. (laughs) So no, I mean, those floral arrangements were really just um, from my imagination, but also really based on what might have been growing and in bloom in that season, in that place. And so I think that's the the other side to my research. You know, I really, going into writing this book, was not a gardener myself. I've been, of course, raised with gardeners. But I, you know, I had to come to the conclusion that, wow, um, not everything blooms all the time. So it's actually a much more complicated language than even I thought when I started the book, because I had to figure out, okay, so where is Victoria in San Francisco? What time of year is it? And what would be blooming? And so I would have these frantic calls to my mother or also to my sister-in-law, who's a botanist, and say, okay, Victoria's in the mission. You know, it's February, and she's desperate for, you know, something that means grace. Like, here are your options. What would be in bloom? And, you know, my my sister-in-law and my mother would have crazy questions like, well, what side of the street is she on? And how foggy has it been? And, you know, and I would just be like, it's fiction. It can be whatever temperature you want it to be. I just need something in bloom. (laughs) That is great. And um, speaks worlds to the community of flower growers and their willingness to help and their specificity of detail. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. And deep knowledge. Yeah. 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 I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. We're speaking today with Vanessa Diffenbaugh, author of the novel The Language of Flowers. So, Vanessa, given that you weren't and aren't necessarily a gardener yourself, um, but you grew up among gardeners, and you had this story that you wanted to write about this young woman, describe, if you can, like how and why, beyond being beautiful and seasonal um, and you know, appealing to a, a broad group of people. But for you personally, how and why were flowers and nature the perfect source of redemption and grace for Victoria? 
Well, I think this is where I say that I absolutely didn't mean to do it. I mean, just to be completely honest, I never set out to write a book about flowers or the language of flowers at all. I had this very specific character, and she really came to me whole. And, you know, I've written enough and more books now to know how rare that is. But Victoria, I understood from the moment she came to me, and I understood how she would act and react to the world. And so one of the very first scenes that I wrote was, if you've read the book, she walks into a flower shop, and there's a young man that looks at her in a way that makes her very uncomfortable. And so without planning this at all in the writing, um, I had her leave the flower shop and come back a week later with rhododendron, which means beware. So that just really happened spontaneously in the writing. And the moment it happened, it made perfect sense to me. So here was a character who um, wouldn't respond with words ever. I mean, she's just not that kind of person she's lived so disconnected for so long and so outside of society, she's not going to express herself in a language that someone understands, right? She's going to understand, she's going to communicate not only with a language that no one understands, but for the most part, people don't even know that she's communicating at all. Mm -hmm. And that just seemed absolutely perfect for me because Victoria wanted to say something, but she didn't even want a response. Yeah. Well, that brings us nicely to um, my final question, uh, which is talk a little bit about your involvement and dedication to advocacy for the foster care um, children or young adults who are aging out of the foster care system and the upcoming um, fundraiser for the Jesus Center. Sure. Well, I'm very happy to be invited by the Jesus Center and to support their great work. And I've spent I guess, close to a decade now as a foster parent. Um, we have one young man who we fostered for four years all throughout high school, and he went off to NYU and actually just graduated in May, which is very exciting, a big accomplishment for him. And then we have a second son that actually came to us, just like Victoria in my book, um, at the age of 18. He aged out of the system and had never connected to a permanent family. And so, you know, he spent every Christmas with us for eight years. And then one day I said, you know, um, well, he had said, maybe I'll change my name to Diffenbaugh. And I said, well, if you're going to change your name to Diffenbaugh, we should just adopt you. And, you know, I, I was only half serious because he was 25 at the time. And he said, well, I'd really like that. So we actually went to court last summer and adopted Donovan. So we now officially have four children. Um, and he's just an incredible young man. And so I think um, I've spent a great majority of my time when I'm not writing, um, working to kind of spread the word that there are older young people in our society that have never um, really been connected to families and, and want nothing more to be loved like any other young person in the world. So I'm part of a board called Youth Villages, and I founded a nonprofit um, that is now called Life Set Network where we try to get um, young people aging out of the system connected with supports and resources they need to be successful. So it's a big part of the work I do, and I'm very happy to do it. And I believe the nonprofit was originally um, titled the Camellia Network. and that That's is, right, Camellia Network. And that is because camellias mean? Camellia means my destiny is in your hands. Which is just a beautiful um, message. 
If we could just end by having you read the quote from the end of your foreword to the companion book, The Language of Flowers, um, that is a, a separate book that goes with the novel to help people understand the different meanings of flowers. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Great. Now in the current information age, we know more than we've ever known. Science and technology have advanced to the point where not only do we understand more about the world, but all of our collective understanding is gathered in a single, if virtual, space. But has any of this helped us to communicate more effectively? Are any of our technological methods of declaring love more meaningful than a single tulip in a blue glass vase growing taller in the direction of the light? Is there anything more perfect than a banana leaf boat full of flowers floating down a river to express our devotion to the divine? Is anything more useful than a bed of bright orange marigolds to help us find our way home? We plant, we nurture, we grow. We give different flowers for different moments of time, but all for the same purpose, to say that which cannot be said and to say it with beauty and grace. Vanessa Diffenbaugh, it has been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Vanessa Diffenbaugh, author and advocate for children in the foster care system, will be the featured speaker at an upcoming fundraising event for the Jesus Center in Chico. Join us again after the break when we're joined by Shelley Watson, a floral designer and director of services for the Jesus Center. The story of Victoria, the young woman whose story we follow in Vanessa's The Language of Flowers, resonated deeply with Shelley and many of her own life's experiences. In 2013, she founded Bloomin' Hope and the Floral Cart, vocational skills training and outreach programs at the Jesus Center. We'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Before the break, we were speaking with Vanessa Diffenbaugh, author of the acclaimed novel, The Language of Flowers, the story of a young woman who ages out of the foster care system and ultimately finds her way in the world through her knowledge and connection to flowers. I'm now joined in the studio by Shelley Watson, Director of Services for the Jesus Center, a Christian-based outreach and ministry service provider in Chico working to help people experiencing homelessness or other acute need in their lives. In 2013, Shelley spearheaded a new vocational skills training program for women at the Jesus Center called Bloom and Hope. 
One of the central efforts of the Bloom and Hope Project is to give the women guests of the Jesus Center a sense of purpose and to provide opportunity for paths to self-sufficiency. Currently, the face of Bloom and Hope is a flower cart which sells flowers grown or arranged by the women guests of the Jesus Center and who are involved in the Bloom and Hope program. Welcome, Shelley. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. So I always like to start with, tell us a little bit about the influence of nature and horticulture in your life that would bring you to now. Um, for me, I, at a very young age, was involved in working in a flower shop. I think I was 14. And that was kind of the start for me is um, just being around flowers, plants, I loved it. I've always seen all the different flowers, and I look at them at the colors and the veins that run through them. And it just always reminds me about the beauty of the creation and how perfectly made they all are. And as time has gone on, we're probably about 30 years past that, um, I see that in people. Yeah. I believe we're all created differently. We all have the veins and the creation that God gave us. And so... Um, it's just something that's always been very uh, meditating for me, the creative therapeutic part of it. I really enjoy that. What inspired you in 2013 or, or before to begin the Bloom and Hope Project? And describe its beginnings for us a little bit. Um, well, I think part of it is, um, you know, I had spent a lot of years down in San Diego and recently had gone to San Francisco, and you see flower carts everywhere. And in my 20s, I can remember when we didn't have much money, we would just take a drive for the day down the coast, and you could pull over and buy a flower. And you always came home with something. I thought, well, Chico could use a flower cart. And I had been working with women, and um, I, was, I just started talking about it to some friends. If we could find a way where people could feel they had a purpose, even people who were on like a set income, they could be part of the community. Um, for others, I was thinking about the vocational skills part of it because in my early 20s, it is um, working in flower shops was something I always went back to to help me be able to provide for my son. Mm -hmm. um, so Bloom and Hope, I was talking to some friends about, you know, the idea of a flower cart. I happened to be placed at the right time in the right place with the right person. And he started drawing it out. That was Mike Maloney. And he um, he's just he has the talent for drawing a blueprint. And I was like, okay, well, we need this many buckets, and we'll need an area to wrap. And my friend Lori and I then went to Seroptimus and pitched the idea. And they gave us the original funding to have the cart built. And from there, it kind of became this uh, community project. It was interesting. We had a plaque put on the cart that we could thank everybody. And so we're three years later, we still have a little bit of that money, which I call my buying power. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. We're, we're using two different names. Bloom and Hope is the sort of concept for this idea, this vocational right. skills um, training program. And for now, at least, the flower cart is the primary face of that concept. Describe what what your guests or, or your participants do and what, what they're trained and what the flower cart offers? So the, primarily we work with the women who are staying in a shelter. Okay. Um, 
So what we do is I, I teach them how to clean the flowers. I do the ordering. The flowers get delivered, and I, um, I've taught them how to clean the flowers. Uh, then we tag them with the names, and we individually price each stem. The idea is by the time we get downtown, people can do what we call create a bouquet. So I then schedule the women. We come downtown. I taught them how to wrap. I've done classes um, in the evenings, like this is how you do a wrapped bouquet. Some of the women are more comfortable doing customer service. Some want to do cashiering. And some want to just do uh, help with the cleaning. So it's a process between processing flowers. We go downtown. We have some who are helping the customers. And then we have the wrappers. And then we have our cashier. And what we, f- we, we have found, and this is my past experience, is people like to come and pick out, I'll have one of those, I'll have two of those. They're creating their own bouquet. Nice. And the other part of it is you if you only have a dollar, you could buy a flower, right. sometimes 50 cents. So by the individually stemmed prices, it's, it's made it where it's available to all. Yeah. And so they have this really nice sort of rounded education of a small business, basically, and a small mm-hmm. business based on horticulture and how to take care of flowers. And you mentioned that um, you are ordering the flowers in and, and – but I, I, I read also that the community farm, the Jesus Center community farm, is at least starting to grow some flowers that will then be supplied to the flower cart. Talk a little bit about that. Right. When we first started this adventure, um, we invested some money in bulbs for out at the farm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's iris, daffodils, tulips, some, some zinnias. The idea is we want to grow some and then we would have the uh, the wholesale flowers we're getting in from the florist quality. Mm-hmm. And then I could combine them. Nice. Um, this year, I just um, – we're getting ready to plant again. And we're hoping to do fields. My vision would be a field of, you know, status and Ostromeria and Larkspur and some uh, sunflowers, what we could grow here locally. Uh, that's kind of like my long-term vision. So – I want to talk a little bit about the the connection to Vanessa Diffenbaugh's book and her coming to uh, Chico to do a, a benefit speech and lunch with uh, to benefit the, the Jesus Center. And um, you have said to me and other people have said to me, Shelley read this book and she saw herself. Right. So in, in this young girl, Victoria, who sort of finds her, her livelihood as well as her life in working with flowers. Talk, talk a little bit about that as an inspiration for you. Um, yeah, when I read the book, I was, um, it's kind of very touching and emotional for me because at a very young age, going into the flower shop, you know, I didn't really go through the foster care system or anything like that, but I was still lost and broken. And somebody took me in at 14 years old into a flower shop, cleaning the shop, just watering the plants, um, then washing the buckets. And then slowly, uh, by the time I was 16, I was delivering the flowers. I was kind of running the shop by myself. And the person who took me in and hired me, she took me up to the LA flower market. So I got to experience that. And um, that's why when I read the book, like, oh, I've been there. So get it. It's just an amazing world to me to be somewhere where flowers are being shipped from all over the world. Yeah. Um, By the time I was 18, I was then starting to design flowers. I had, you know, and it had, had it not been for that woman that hired me, I don't know if I'd be here today. 
I ended up over in Grass Valley, Nevada City, working in flower shops. And one of them was open till 8 at night. So I was there every evening, and it was, here's the key. They understood the ability or the need sometimes to just go in when you're in that creative mode mm-hmm. and or creative mood. I would go in, and I would just design and, and just make stuff. And it was very therapeutic to me. It, I would spend a lot of time alone doing that. Yeah. And the other part of the book that really struck me is there was a period in my life as a single parent, I didn't have much money, and I was trying to come up with gifts for friends, and I was making um, wreaths, homemade wreaths, and they were fresh with lemon leaf, and some had herbs, and some had flowers, and I had come across the book. It was an old Victorian book, The Language of Flowers, and I can remember for one of my friends putting sunflowers on there because it meant false riches and we were both single parents. And so to me, when I read this book, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is so me. I remember all this stuff. And to me, it's exciting. It's a big passion of mine because it just, it carried me through a lot of emotional times. And so when we brought this to the Jesus Center, I saw women who needed some confidence and just felt like they needed to have a purpose. And that's what Bloom and Hope has, do, has done. Yeah. You know, I sat back on one of our events on a bigger holiday, and I had trained them and watched them. I just sat in the back, and they took over, and there was about 14 of them. And they just they just did the whole day. Yeah. And so to me, that's pretty exciting. If you had one or two stories of women who have really found their feet through this project that you might be particularly proud of, can you share one or two of those with us? Um, well, there's one person who comes to mind because she was very shy and felt that she couldn't work, felt that she had a lack of concentration. And so it was kind of, okay, we started with um, putting her in a little area at the Jesus Center cashiering. And uh, next thing you know, she just loved it. And she was asking for more time, more hours. And we just sat back and kind of watched this person blossom in front of our eyes. Then we started going to flower carts. So she's our main cashier. That's what she does. And she's very good at it. And from that, she has now created uh, a network of friends. She is confident in herself. She is probably the most appreciative and grateful person for where she's at. She's employed now and has moved on to housing. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. I am um, always moved by this kind of story and... um, Something about the the flowers and the the growing part in that continuum, especially from the farm to the cart to the women to the um, improved livelihood and opportunity for them is um, it's powerful and and so I appreciate you bringing it to our community. Well, thank you. I, I also feel it's very powerful when I hear them say to me, "Look what I made." Shelley Watson, it's been an honor. Shelley Watson is the Director of Services for the Jesus Center in Chico. In 2013, she spearheaded the vocational training program Bloom and Hope and its associated flower cart. The Bloom and Hope flower cart is open and can be found at 4th and Main Streets in downtown Chico on most major holidays, including Mother's Day coming up. Cart open information can be found at thejesuscenter.org or at Bloom and Hope on Facebook. 
Vanessa Diffenbaugh will be the featured speaker at an upcoming fundraiser for the Jesus Center on Saturday, May 14th from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the Lakeside Pavilion in California Park. Tickets are $45 and include lunch and the program, which will begin at 11 a.m. You can find more information and purchase tickets at jesuscenter.org events. Join me again next week as the conversations continue with the radiant beauty of some of my favorite flowers, the hardy geraniums and other members of the Geraniaceae family. We'll be joined by Robin Pear, owner of Geraniaceae.com and author of The Plant Lover's Guide to Hardy Geraniums, now out from Timber Press. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is produced by Matt Schultz. Audio archives can be found weekly at mynspr.org. Essays and photographs can be found weekly at JewelGarden.com. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.